Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic bonus Thanksgiving movie review podcast. I'm your co-host Bob Zero. With me is professional film critic Sean Patrick, and Josh Adams is with us again. I don't think he's missed a bonus episode yet, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, see, uh, there is a streak that I'm happy to continue. Excellent. Well, then we'll have to get you. I spit on your grave. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I'm ready for that challenge. You gotta watch it like 14 times. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. You gotta watch every commentary track, <laughs> especially the Joe Bob. I think uh, Bob, you're the only one who has said that. <laughs> well, so you said the the guy challenged you to do, didn't he? No, no, just to watch the movie again. Oh, I thought he challenged you to watch the commentaries from the director and Joe Bob Briggs. They said they, they would recommend that, but they wanted me to watch the movie again. Oh. Well, I have seen the commentary tracks. <laughs> so, anyway, this you know where we're from and where our social media stuff's at because you're on Patreon. So uh, we're going to just kind of jump right into the show. We have used to do this in the past, the Thanksgiving episode. We bring another podcast on to talk about what they like. Uh, we once had Chris Jericho, the <laughs> professional wrestler, do it. Uh but this week, we're just going to be the three of us, and we're going to do new movies that we are thankful for. So, Sean, do you want to get things started? Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, relatively new, um, because I want to talk about Midsummer again. Uh, I, I love talking about Midsummer, And this was actually the inspiration to want to do this again, to talk about movies we're thankful for, because um, Midsummer is a movie that, for me, just kind of has changed the way I see movies. That's how amazing uh, Midsummer is. This is uh, Ari Aster's most recent film from last year, which I named the best movie of 2019. Um, it's a movie that's about uh, a real, you know, extraordinary examination of grief, but at the same time, it's also this remarkable achievement of a director who is just so, so intricate and so thoughtful about every aspect of the filmmaking process. Everything matters. Uh, little tiny details that, that most directors don't think about or, or might forget to, to, to about or might not think are important. Ari Aster cares that deeply about it to make it uh, be in the movie, to make it matter, to, to make it stand out. And really what... what the, the perception of it for me just changes every time I watch it. Like the first time it was just pure unadulterated shock and, and, and this joy at being shocked. And then the second time I watched it, it was experiencing the film from the filmmaking perspective and, and seeing all these very unique and unbelievably brilliant details uh, throughout. And then each sub- subsequent time that I've seen it, it, something new pops up where like somebody posts, on Twitter about uh, four or five months ago that they'd seen something in the movie that they didn't realize was there before. And I watched it again and like, oh, yeah, you're right. There it is. <laughs> and it's this. And again, it all plays into what he's talking about, which, again, is an examination of grief. This woman uh, goes through this horrific trauma of losing her family and that just affects everything that happens to her after afterwards though this 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 specter of death hangs over her 
uh, no matter where she goes. And she visits this culture that has a very different perspective on death. And the the way that it examines that, the way it examines those characters and how those characters exist is just fascinating. And it just reveals itself in new different ways each and every time I watch it. Uh, I, most recently, Bob, I watched it uh, while, while listening to some of the music that we talked about <laughs> in the episode because there's a, uh, a particular band whose music kind of dovetails with this. and just it, It's shocking the way that that works that much. Um, which band was that, by the way? I can't remember. Bob? Coven. Or, yeah. Coven. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I was listening to Coven and and enjoying the movie, and it and it just it just works. <laughs> this movie is just it's it like I said, it's changed the way I see movies. I now hold movies to an even higher standard. It ruined the way I see movies in a lot of ways. In uh, some ways, because I I want this experience again. Right. <laughs> And it really like it made me not. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. This is a definitely. It's definitely made going back to the classics more fun because then you you can see the originality and the filmmaking and the storytelling that lacks in a lot of the standard blockbuster movies today. Even the ones that do it okay, uh, there's just something different about Midsummer or whatever, however they pronounced it. Uh, Yeah. And it just, I don't know, it, it it really was the experience then, you know, listening to that record on the way home and then talking about it and then doing the podcast about it, then doing the bonus podcast about it, then seeing it again and again. It's a movie that will stick with me for a long, probably forever. And every time you watch it, you get something new out of it. Uh, I'm glad Josh liked it. <laughs> that was the one holdout I had. Uh, but it, yeah, I, I just love this movie. You know what? You guys are really going to be pleased about this then, because I shit you not, Midsummer is one of my choices <laughs> that I'm thankful for. Uh, and, and there's a very specific reason for that. I suppose it would seem convenient to say that uh, to the untrained ear, but I, having not been on the show for some time on a consistent basis, um, it was really nice when I told you guys that I saw it. That to be able to connect again on something so clearly and see it from your point of view uh, after the fact, you know, and say, oh, my gosh, you were right about this. And what about this? And what about this? And every time that you say something about it, my brain lights up with, yes, I agree. I completely agree. That was amazing. Uh, and as for, for Blase, as I was about Hereditary, because of the way that it turned out, <laughs> I think it's very interesting that I appreciate Midsummer. I think it's a, you know it's a little better filmmaking. It's it's somebody that's matured a little bit as a director already, and uh, performances in that movie are so starkly um, terrifying slash strange all at the same time. Uh, it's something that has stuck in my head since then. Uh, and, and so, you know, also I'm in a Facebook group that, um, is a movie exchange group or we sell things to each other. And the hottest item in that group right now is the midsummer director's cut. Like apparently it's very scarce. And anytime it comes up, people want to go grab it because they love the movie so much. And I've had some extended conversation about it in those groups, so being able to to connect again to the movie world over the past year, roughly, especially in this particular year, and understand what you guys are talking about again, finally, 
uh, it's been really special to do. So I'm definitely thankful for that as well. And our, our, yeah. uh, go ahead with, with the director's cut, uh, the, I, I love, I love it of course, because I love this movie so much, but I think what I love about the director's cut is that you can see why he made the choices to cut out what he cut. Um, not that they're bad scenes. They're very good scenes. They're just, there's a couple of scenes that are relatively redundant of the point that he's already made. That said, these are also scenes that are, are incredibly well shot and incredibly would fit perfectly in the movie. If they hadn't, if he hadn't already made that the particular point just prior to it. And, and that's a, such an interesting way to approach a, a, a director's cut is to add back in scenes that are really great scenes, but make it very obvious. This is why I cut this because th- this already, this point had already existed in the movie. Yeah. And Ari Aster participated in the, I think it's the history of horror on AMC. Uh, and he talked about hereditary and knowing he was going to lose half the audience when he went the way he did, but he was like, fuck it. This is where I want to go. Uh, so he, out and out knew what he was doing and that's makes it that makes me love that movie that much more than midsummer it's just uh, it's it's in another world all by itself which makes me i mean i'm gonna pick once upon a time in hollywood as a movie i appreciate only because that was the first movie that allowed me to escape that bias that midsummer had put on every other movie i'd seen it's not the second best movie, you know, in recent years by any means, but it was the movie that allowed me to get lost in it. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, other movies can exist besides Midsummer." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I do appreciate that out of, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood and it was fun. And it was just, uh, Brad Pitt was phenomenal. Leo was really good. Uh, I, I just, I thought it was a, just a, a really great Tarantino movie. And, Margot Robbie, her, the way, you know, what she did in it was really important. I I just, the whole thing was so much fun and one of my, one of the movies I'm thankful for. Yeah, the the interesting, I love that, I love that movie as well. And, and, you know, it's interesting, you've been, you were on quite a journey there for a while after Midsummer because, because you were almost, it was almost depressed. Yeah. About movies for a little while after why can't everything be like this <laughs> or even and, attempted uh, yeah it was great to get to this movie and have that to have yeah. that little bit yeah yeah uh once upon a time in hollywood is just it's it's so good it's so sprawling and 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 yet well put together and it has that classic uh, tarantino feel of a of a of a wide-ranging story being told with the you know, intricate pieces and yet it feels so loose and and free and fun and exciting and uh he just does that so very very well and uh then you you have that bit of uh just that bit of a kinky thrill of seeing of seeing the the manson family get what they deserve like i know it's not <laughs> uh it's obviously just the, the, there's a, there's there's a way to take liberties with history and do it well I don't think like we were talking about Ammonite before about how it takes a great deal. It takes a little liberty with history, and I don't necessarily think it does it in a skillful manner. This takes liberty with history and does it with a great deal of skill. Yeah, and I, quite frankly, I don't want to see the Charles Manson murders in a big movie like this. Uh, that's just gratuitous and unnecessary, and we already know uh, I don't need to see it. So I don't know. That's just me. Josh, what did you think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? 
I would love to tell you, believe it or not, I have still not seen it. Uh, finding oh, wow. time, yeah, you know what? C- carving out three hours of time for us here without wanting to finish any other like dramatic television show that we're watching, like The Undoing or whatever, um, that's difficult. And we are both very large Tarantino fans, but not on the level that we should be. Uh, I feel very guilty for not having seen this yet. You'll love it when you see it. Uh, who wants to go next? Uh, Josh. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, now, this is... I think I misinterpreted the uh, new movies thing that I'm thankful for. Um, I think I'm going to put it all into one group as stuff that I have seen this year um, for my number one. But this particular one is a recent movie, and I'll say it's on the rocks. Uh, the reason why I care about this really as much as I do... 2020 has been pretty shitty for a lot of different people. Um, 2020 has been definitely the most excruciating one of my life, and I'd like to see it go the fuck away. And this movie really seemed to echo a lot of the experience of this year for me, and I just really appreciated somebody else having the same voice as me for a while. Uh, It's so simple and, and... not of any significance per se, but you guys have heard me say this on the show before too. I love little moments in time movies like this, where it's just a period of somebody's life and they've felt the same way from beginning to end really. And a short journey. And this really embodies that very well. And I, I appreciate Sophia Coppola's subtlety as a director so much. And Rashida Jones continues to prove herself to me as somebody that could anchor a drama or a comedy of, of a certain type. So I just appreciate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. We, we went on a long, <laughs> a long a conversation about her and about why she doesn't uh, get more attention uh, in the way we, we would imagine uh, that she should. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was a, a big part of that episode. Uh, I, I, Love on the rocks because uh, it's it's like Sophia's it's like Sophia Coppola's take on a mainstream movie in some ways like like in another movie this would be a caper <laughs> you know the way that they they try to chase down her husband to find out if he's cheating that would turn into this you know this wacky caper and this is kind of her take on on what that might be like uh, her making a wacky caper movie <laughs> and I love it so much more for that. Uh, it's just so smart, and it's just so much better than that movie, than those actual wacky caper movies. And just the, the 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 interplay between her and Bill Murray is so smart and so uh, just fun, and is the way you hope people will talk to each other. And I, I just I just love this movie. No, I, I agree completely. Uh, you guys have knocked it out of the park, and <laughs> I I would love to see really both of them nominated and winning Oscars. I think it's be well-deserved because they were both phenomenal. I really, I wouldn't care if any, all of them won for that matter. I don't know. You know, we'll see what else comes out this year, but you know, this is one of the best moves of the year and one of the best directorial jobs, some of the best acting all around. Just a great, fantastic movie. Sean. All right. Yes, uh, the next one is my actual favorite movie of 2020. Uh, H is for Happiness, which is an Australian family film uh, that I, I enthused about on the show and, I, and has not left me uh, at all. I just 
the the pure joy of creation in this movie the the ways in which the the this director and these actors appear to just be loving every second of what they do makes this movie just such a complete joy and when you're talking about the year like 2020 has been which has been a terrible year in so many different ways when you get this kind of bolt of joy <laughs> you have to you have to embrace it you have to hold on to it as much as you can and i've watched this movie like three or four times now because i just i i want to go back to the feeling of this i want to go back to this uh joy of watching these people just have so much happiness and and uh and light and fun and even as even as they're talking about a couple of pretty serious things here and there, uh, they they do it with such a deft hand. It's so very smart and light and and lovely. Uh, it's so imaginative, um, and and it it follows its fancy to to so many different ways that could be you know, could be saccharine or could be you know, uh, I don't know could be just wrong in so many ways, and it gets it right. Uh, the the lovely young actress who's at the center of it is so quirky and 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 played by anybody else i can imagine those quirks getting really really tiresome but they never do with her and and really the entire cast reflects that that similar feeling of uh, each of these characters could be played in a much broader fashion and be complete you know i look at my i look at the numbers in my written review on ages for happiness and the number barely moves nobody's reading it and really nobody talks about this movie and you know i know it's an Australian, you know, family film. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of points against it in terms of trying to get people to watch it based on that. But uh, it's truly just, it's so brilliant and it's so smart and so funny and so happy. It's, uh, it's really in a year with, with that lacked, uh, you know, a great joy. Uh, Agents for Happiness is, is just this joyous, loving, brilliant thing. And I wish more people would see it. Yeah, I it, it caught me off guard, and I I wish I remember how I described it, because uh, it should be I think it was like like a movie like what Matilda was or whatever <laughs> from you know the late nineties or early two thousands whenever that came out. It, it it's it should be that dumb, but it's so there's more art behind it that I I, I compared it to something else like maybe if like Juno like mixed with Matilda or something like that. It's got that innocence of a family movie, but it's so much smarter and so much better than it should be or has any right to be. It really is one of the best movies of the year. I agree completely. And it totally caught me off guard. Uh, similar to a way, you know, something like Amelie caught me off guard, but it's its own thing. It's not, it's hard to compare to something else. Cause it's what you would compare it to is kind of dumb. But this is really good. You know, I think wonder. Yeah, it's so it's so brilliant and and so so just an incredible work of art. I mean, and I know we don't see that often from a from a movie that is called a family movie that tends to get uh, ghettoized and and pushed off to the side for children to watch. And uh, this is certainly a movie I would show to children absolutely because it is that that wonderful. But uh, it is so much more than that. This is what this is what you can do when you make a family movie with some actual ambition to it. And and that's so much lacking in that genre. I just think you might like it, Josh. Uh, and I'm not saying like in a, a a big sick type way or whatever. I, I which you'd like, but I I don't think we're overblowing it. I really do think it's that good if people watch it because you there's no way you to watch the trailer and be like, 
this is going to be uh, how could it possibly be what they're saying so the trailer is going to let you down a little bit i don't know it's i, I really think it'll work uh, if you ever got a chance i know you got a lot going on but i think you'd enjoy it if you ever did get around to it you know what uh, the way while you were talking about it guys i looked it up uh and i saw that miriam margulies was uh, uh the lead in this one am i right about that I'm not sure off the top of my head what the young lady's oh, name is. Okay. No, I've just, I've always, uh, Miriam Margulies is the older lady, um, and I've always liked her as a character actor, and so that attracted me to it right away. But then reading the story and read, and hearing your description, you're right, it kind of does sound right up my alley. Um, I've always liked hopelessly optimistic, quirky characters. Um, the one first one that comes to my mind is Amy Adams in Junebug, and yeah. she was nominated for that performance. Uh, quirky and happy and positive and trying to overlook all of the nastiness around her. I, yeah, that kind of thing really is in, in my wheelhouse as we say. And I'm all about the nastiness. So my number two will be the hunt, which is <laughs> right up there. I don't know if it's my favorite anymore on the rocks might be my favorite, but it's right up there this year. I, whenever something's, Whenever I'm like, if I'm depressed, I'm going to go listen to Alice in Chains and that kind of shit. If I'm, you know, I'm just going to wallow in whatever I'm feeling. So if I 2020 sucks, I'm going to jump into what made it suck. And aside from the pandemic, all this division. And I, I think The Hunt knocks it out of the park more than any other movie has. Uh, and I know, you know, they don't spell it out for you. So you got to kind of come to it on your own and people will miss it. They'll think it's something else. But I... I like how it it's. <laughs> I like how it just really goes after the division in this country, even really in the world, and I, I just think it's so smart. And I like, I like the nastiness of it. And then Betty Gilpin, I love her in Glow, and to see her get a starring role like this, and uh, I, I wish more people would have seen it because it literally one, it should have came out last fall. The Republicans somehow got it to not. Uh, it was literally the last movie I saw in the theater before the pandemic. So uh, that's that part of it too. But she is so fantastic in this and her fight scene with, uh, oh my God, her Hillary, name, Swank. Hillary Swank. How do you forget her? Uh, the, <laughs> I, I thought that fight scene was phenomenal. It was fun. It was, uh, I don't know. I, I just love how it's like real life social media. And that just was intriguing to me. And, I'll go dark any day of the week. <laughs> That's Yeah. The, the hunt is one I still struggle with a little bit. Not that I don't think it's good. I do think it's good. I think the, I, I think really the my, my favorite takeaway is that it's basically Twitter as a movie. Right. Uh, right. If, if you, if you gave people on Twitter guns and, and put them, put them against each other, this is what it would happen. Uh, this is, uh, it is a perfect amalgamation of what uh, what social media would be, you know, if you hadn't taken it into the real world. And uh, the <laughs> so that aspect I respect. I I guess the hard the thing I struggle with with the hunt is that that I worry that there are people who can adopt either side can adopt this movie and adopt it as their own and and you know talk about it as propaganda of their side. And that's always something I struggle with. Like I think the same problem about. Not necessarily. It's it's a better movie than Team America. But Team America suffers from the same thing, where people can on both sides can grab that and say, "This is mine," and and it represents what I stand for, and it means this. And 
I, I generally speaking, when you can assign a meaning to a movie, it becomes less than for me. And I, I like the fact that you, to me, that's always something like a, a song. If you have, to, if you put your own meaning to the song, I, I, I think that's better. And movies are a little different than music, but I, I, I actually, that's something I actually like about movies like Joker, Team America, other movies we've talked about with the same thing where it goes down the middle because both sides are at fault. You know, there's, you know, even if one side's more right than the other, there's still both sides are doing something wrong. And that's what I, I, I enjoy, enjoy movies that kind of point that out, but you're right. People fuck that up. So uh, <laughs> I don't disagree with you there. Have you seen the hunt yet, Josh? No, heard all about it though. And I remember the uh, fight against getting it released and, yeah, you certainly don't want me commenting on it. All I'm going to do is talk for hours about things. And I, <laughs> I, I agree with you, Bob, in that I do enjoy um, anything that specifically takes uh, a stand. And film-wise, film language-wise, I think it's not as much of a challenge to just take one particular stand and go with it and not look at all angles. Uh, I agree with Sean on that point, but I also take great revelry in the nastiness when I need to because it kind of like has the voice that I don't get to have on it, and that makes me happy. What is your next choice, Josh? Um, As I said, I don't have a whole lot of new things to talk about, uh, newer movies, um, but there's one from 11 years ago that I could mention. Would that be all right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. you guys will definitely remember it, its existence, and Sean, I'm sure that you saw it, but uh, it's a little indie movie directed by a huge director in Sam Mendes, and it's called Away We Go. Um, speaking of, of people in similar groups together, uh, such as Rashida Jones, um, Maya Rudolph, John Krasinski, it's, this one stars the latter two, and... Uh, Directed by the American Beauty director. I mean, it's it's the strangest combo of talents to really make me excited. Now, I loved this the first time that I saw it, um, but even though I was watching it with somebody, the experience was solo. <laughs> um, I was enjoying it so much uh, on my end, and then when the other party's like, no, I don't like that. I felt let down and then I kind of took a break from it for 11 years and just watched it again a few weeks ago. And to hear from my wife that it's one of her now top 10 favorite films of all time is very validating. Um, And it makes me very thankful that I could share something with somebody and literally recommend it to them as something that they enjoyed, that they enjoyed that much. Now, is it in my top 10? No. Is it in my top 100? No, but it's probably in the 1 to 150 category. Uh, It just has a lot to say, I think, about finding your particular clan, um, rejecting things that you grew up with, um, rejecting like just because they're your parents doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with everything they say or even speak with them. it's just something I identify with. I know that it's probably not for everyone because they can't identify with it, but uh, I love those characters so much. And, and Maya Rudolph, like Rashida Jones, I think is so much more capable of what she's had credit for thus far. She was great in the new Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> <laughs> she makes a great uh, vice 
president elect. Oh yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, no, I love this movie. I, I love this movie when it came out in 2009, and uh, it, it's really clever. And I mean, this cast is absolutely unreal. It's uh, Jeff Daniels, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Allison Janney, uh, and Melody Linsky, who's uh, gets a really couple of great moments late in this movie that are really just fantastic. And uh, yeah, oh my god, it, it stuck with me all these years. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean, what do you got next? Uh, I'm going to go weird on this one and, and, and even go further back than Josh did, but it's recent for us, and that is uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, you know, I like to have I like to have my mind blown by something that never would have expected to blow my mind, and and really, I had such an, an amazing experience watching this movie. And I know we talked about it on the show. Obviously, that's why I'm talking about it now. But uh, I wanted to revisit that feeling because I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for having that, had that experience of that movie. And it's such a silly movie to have that experience about. But it, it was just, again, like like enjoying, you know, H's for happiness and just feeling pure, unadulterated joy for a little while. That's what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 was. It was just this... An unending amount of fun. <laughs> and, uh, you can find that so rarely these days, um, and you got to you got to embrace it when you can. And I, I'm really just still kind of blown away at how skillful that movie is in being uh, a big blockbuster, a kids movie, but also a movie that is just skillfully made uh, for for what it is. And it recognizes you know its own limitations for what it is, but it also it, it's an ambitiously fun movie. Uh, it's got a great, it's got a great vibe. It's got a great pace, and uh, it's not a perfect movie by any stretch. Obviously, it looks kind of silly uh, overall, but really, the experience of that movie, I'm so thankful for because I never, I, I had absolutely no expectation to even enjoy it, let alone to find it to be one of the, my favorite experiences of this year. <laughs> so I kind of went from, I kind of went from, I don't want to do this, and this is going to be, you know, I'm going to hate this all the way around to this is awesome. Why don't we talk about this more? <laughs> yeah, I really, this is not the movie I expected to have that experience with, especially in 1990. <laughs> the sad thing is I, I think it could come out today and still work. You know, I, movies that recognize their own limitations tend to be better. You know, there's more art involved with it. They, they are more creative with what they come up with and they end up making the story better when you can just blow shit up. You get a Michael Bay movie and it's, it's just, it's too hectic and too much going on. And this one, they rely more on the characters. They rely more on the story. And because of that, it's more of a fun movie going experience than obviously the remakes have been. I'm with you hundred percent. Those remakes, they're more like marketing materials, really. They're really like uh, just we, we've got a product here to sell to people, and, and this is how we're going to sell it. And that's really the, how, that, how that functions is that it's a, it's a functionary. And it feels soulless because of that, because it feels like we're just being marketed, you know, nostalgia. Or here's, a, here's an IP. Here's this familiar intellectual property that we're all aware of, and we've kind of structured a story to go with it. That doesn't happen here. As much as they've got a great marketing hook for this, they there's a, a strange word to use here, but there's a purity to the intention mm-hmm. of what they're doing uh, with this movie that that doesn't exist with each and every sub- subsequent uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, and I I appreciate that. I feel 
I, I feel a connection to that that I can't feel to these to these remakes. That makes me so happy to hear that you identify with something nerdy like this, and it makes you happy. <laughs> but you know, it's ironic that you said uh, the marketing surrounding the latest films, saying like, "Hey, we have a toy. We want you to buy it. Therefore, here are these films to drag you into a store." The funny part about that is the new Turtles toys. Nobody gives a shit about those. Okay, <laughs> it's all the delightful sculpts of the 1990 films that are popular. Like literally, those in the co- uh, commercial-based figures from the 80s and 90s. Uh, those are the most popular toys on the market right now in terms of retail releases. I can say this from experience. I have no desire to have them myself, but. Uh, I'm nerdy in another way, but they're so popular. And that's from something that was released 30 years ago. And it brings people our age, uh, not just nostalgic feelings, but fun feelings, just like you're talking about. All right. Which one do I choose? Uh, <laughs> I think I've chosen the other one before in other Thanksgiving episodes. So I'm going to pick Mandy. That was one of the most fun theatrical experiences I've ever had. Mm. And then, yeah. and then to go back and rewatch it this year with my wife, and now that weed's legal, I haven't gotten into it yet, but maybe I will, and maybe I'll watch it again because it could be even more fun. Uh, <laughs> I, yes, I, I, Mandy's so much. It's just a blast. And then you throw in that interview afterwards. You got to go to YouTube and look up Kevin Smith and and Cosmos. Oh, what the hell you pronounce his last name? Uh, not ready for yeah and then Nicolas Cage and the other actor I don't remember his name but that when Nicolas Cage walks out dressed essentially like Elvis in a gold (laughs) suit uh, it was just fucked up and fun and so Nicolas Cage and uh, he's never been better and this was just a blast and I it's a black metal opera and starts off with King Crimson, and they play the boring part of the song. And just when the song about about goes crazy, Mandy starts <laughs> and goes crazy. It's <laughs> just so fantastic how it was put together. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. I have the the Cheddar Goblin cheese box cereal in my basement, or uh, not cereal, but boxed uh, macaroni and cheese in my basement. Uh, I. I just adore this movie. I have coasters. I'm looking at one right now of, you know, the main character and it's, it's just so much fun and so fucked up. And, but on top of that, just amazing filmmaking and you just don't see enough of that anymore. I shouldn't say that. We, I see a lot of that. It just, it's hidden between marketing materials, uh, which is essentially every other movie that comes out. And even when they're done good, like the Marvel movies, they're great. Don't get me wrong, but it's nice to see, you know, something like this, you know, pop up in between and and just really blow me away. So I'm going with Mandy. Great choice. And, and, you know, Mandy, it it grows in my mind as opposed to other movies that I forget and, and cast off. This movie grows. It gets, it gets better each time I think about it. And just the, the boldness of the filmmaking, the, the artistry on display. And, and as much as it's crazy cage, you're also actually really buying in oh, on a lot absolutely. of his emotions, a lot of the big, broad plays that he's doing. As much as it's crazy cage, it's also like that that moment in the bathroom is <laughs> as ridiculous as it looks. You're 
buying in because that emotion is raw. It is real. He is feeling that shit. And that still sticks with me. Yes, it's Nicolas Cage and Tidy Whitey's you know, freaking out. But at the same time, he's also just a man who's just had everything taken from him in the most horrific fashion. And it is ungodly fascinating. And you're just you're just in awe of the power that is coming off of that screen the rest of the way. Uh, when it, And again, we're talking about a movie that has a chainsaw fight in it. You've got a movie with Nicolas Cage using so much drugs. <laughs> keep himself going and keep himself in this fight then again it's absolutely insane but you're you're in it you bought in because he's so also he's also very very compelling and i made the joke about weed being legal you really don't even need that you know it gets you there mentally on its own which i mean midsummer does too in a lot of ways i think both of us left the theater feeling kind of high or drunk or whatever it was just an awkward it was weird, but you don't even need it. You know, I mean, I'm sure it might make a diff for a different experience, but it are, it fucks with your head yes. anyway. So it's I don't know. I just Josh, to add add that, uh, say that again. I'm just asking if you have any thoughts on Mandy. Oh yeah, I enjoyed it to the point where it's a borderline purchase movie, and f- for me to say that, that means that I enjoyed enough to watch it multiple, multiple times. Um, at the time, I think I was pretty effusive in being uh, in saying this is surprising, and uh, it has these character actors in it, like Linus Roche or Andrea Riseborough for that matter, but also. Uh, Richard Blake, who's been a bunch of Rob Zombie movies, and he played Joe Chill in uh, Batman Begins. Uh, he's got a particular look to him that bothers me significantly. And so for him to be in this, along with Nicolas Cage and then Death Metal involved, it, all stuff that's not my favorite per se, but makes it such a melody of, of uh, enjoyable gore. <laughs> I, I really well, dig Mandy a lot. Yeah, don't forget Bill Duke. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. The best action movie Duke. ever, uh, alumnus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, you mentioned. That? I try to remember what that weapon was. Oh, my God. That weapon that he created for Cage. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Well, that was the thing. That was amazing. It's like you said it grows on you, but then I went back and watched it again this year, like earlier this year, and it was like I was seeing it for the first time again. It was insane how how fresh it felt on uh, upon the second viewing and uh it was i don't know i love this movie and i again not for everybody but i wish it was <laughs> <laughs> and i know you said midsummer is one of yours josh is that is there any other ones that you had chosen or is that it i was prepared for um enough to talk about five if you guys want to be done now that's 100 percent fine with me or I no, i'd like you to do one more you can do one more good okay I'll just say this is the collective um, group, and I'll say 80s movies, but specifically certain ones that I've got to um, almost in total this year uh, that are spoofs or uh, light comedies or crazy teen movies, but witty 80s ridiculousness is what I'll I'll have to say. Um, like the guy that directed One Crazy Summer, um, I can't remember his name, but it's a ridiculous name. Uh, something Steve, whatever. Uh, One Crazy Summer, uh, The Sure Thing, um, Better Off Dead, uh, Real Genius, um, Naked Gun, Top Secret. About- 
Savage Steve Holland. Yeah, Savage Steve Holland. Okay, stuff like that that is something I can turn my head away from the screen and just really enjoy it. That's not just like gentle and pleasant. Uh, I don't want to use that um, off-termed phrase on this show, at least, to describe them. But they're just such delightful, easy watches that are also serving as nostalgia. And I love Cusack so much. And, and they've got witty, quotey, uh, things in them like real genius is all over the place when it comes to that kind of thing. And there's a team like Neil Israel, Pat Proft, the Zucker brothers, and Jim Abrahams that created a series of these movies that are all enjoyable in their own way. Um, I would argue that maybe Police Academy isn't as enjoyable as the others, but <laughs> it's it's part of that group. And I just kind of like want to sit in a room with all of these guys and listen to their banter back and forth. Like, how did they come up with this shit? How did oh, you know, Steve you, Holland and he looks like he has so much fun making these movies, you know, maybe him. But Josh, you don't want to be in a room with the Zuckers now. <laughs> <laughs> you might not. Nobody might not make it out of that room. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK. Um, in that case. Uh, I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm assuming that you're making fun of the scary movie franchise. No, they went hardcore right wing. Hardcore right wing. Oh, okay. Well, fuck them then. I'll just go with the other. <laughs> Do not look up the trailer for their new movie. It is batshit. Oh, did they uh, collaborate with Dinesh D'Souza? I mean, they might as well have. Like, making a parody movie with him might be what they've done here. It's 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 a parody of Bernie Sanders... Uh, and it's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, <laughs> Eric okay. Roberts and Kevin Sorbo and Dean Kane and oh, wait, Eric Roberts too? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, well, I'm not thankful for any of them, and uh, I'll, <laughs> the only nice thing that I can say is that I won't say harsher things. <laughs> okay, I love One Crazy Summer though. One Crazy Summer is a movie that is that's just stuck with me for years. It's just a a uh, phenomenally funny movie, and I, I, I always I can watch that a million times. Yeah, I don't know what it is about Savage Steve Holland, but man, I can imagine being on one of those movies. And even though John Cusack himself is kind of batty these days, young John Cusack seems like a lot of fun. Um, I, I could probably um, like Bobcat Goldthwait <laughs> is in this stuff. Uh, the guy from Revenge of the Nerds that I. I Armstrong, Curtis Armstrong, Booker. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like a fun crowd to be around. It's a little a weird note about Savage Steve Holland. This is actually true. He created the whammy for pressure. Really? That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> he created the animation for it. That's real. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, both better. When you off think about better off dead. Yeah. When you think about sense. better off dead, and yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> it's amazing. All right. Anything else before we wrap up the show, guys? Please, please, please see H is for happiness. Uh, please. <laughs> That's my main takeaway from the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. As we have been talking, I've added that um, to my watch list. Yeah, you will enjoy it. Uh, I guess with that, say happy Thanksgiving to everybody who's listening and to you guys as well. And uh, we'll talk later. <laughs> you, you too as well. And well thank you for having month. me on this show. And uh, um, 
I, I really am thankful for having opportunities like this every once in a while when I've got a whole bunch of stuff to reveal to you guys. It's like, once again, uh, instead of screaming at a wall, I get to scream at you guys for a while. And I, I always have appreciated that. <laughs> and we love week. you, Josh. We yeah. sure here as we want you here as often as you want to be. Anytime you want but, to come uh, back, I want to mention, please do. I want to mention next month we're doing another one of these. I, I spit on your grave. I don't think you need to watch it yourselves to <laughs> to enjoy it. <laughs> I don't at this time recommend that you watch it for yourselves, but we're going to and next month for Patreon. Excellent. All right. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll see you later. And All right. Cool. Done. All right. Thanks. See you later, guys. Appreciate see ya. it.